0: Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Suzanne Locke, CEO of EOS. EOS provides a flexible, modern approach to commoditizing your data assets. After many years of developing highly successful data sales businesses for exchanges, brokers, and vendors, she has taken that experience and created an outsourced service that provides flexible solutions for data producers. She is here today to share her story and learns along the way. So welcome, Suzanne. I'm super, super happy to have you here and very excited about the conversation we're gonna be having.
1: Thanks, Nadia, thanks for having me.
0: So tell us about your life as CEO.
1: Yeah, that's different every day. So no one will, no one who's not in market data will understand any of what you just said about what Eos does, which is fine. But what effectively what we do is we work on behalf of financial institutions to take their data to their clients and and customers and end users. And in doing so, I've been privileged enough to work with senior management across trading venues, exchanges, broker houses, and with data consumers, buy side, sell side. So uh, I'm in a really lucky position that I am speaking to organisations throughout the financial services industry, which is is great.
0: And I think that, you know, it's so important that you do explain it like that, because you're so right. Like we, we often get all caught up in the jargon of the world that we live in. But this is actually about telling people who aren't in this world of what this world's all about and what amazing opportunities are, are here. So tell us a little bit more about EOS and like your light bulb moment for it.
1: Yeah, so I started EOS four years ago and we serve a niche. So we work on behalf of as I said, on, beh- on behalf of organizations in our area of expertise. And I'm lucky enough to have a team around me. We're female owned, obviously, and run. I have a, a team around me who are primarily female, We also have a lot of returners. So people returning to work after redundancy, time out or um, maternity leave and taking time out with children who have experience and want to come back into the workplace. And by working with us and being exposed to that network of people, as I said, you know, they can really grow their career whilst maintaining whatever else it is they're interested in doing, which might be their children, might be in another career or studying whatever else they're doing at the same time. And we're really supportive of that. It's really important to me that we all have this work-life balance. Having maybe not had it <laughs> prior, it's really important to me now that, that everyone in the team has that power to control and choose what they're, what they're doing with their career and with their lives on a day-to-day basis. In terms of the light bulb, I've been lucky enough to be included in some women-owned and women-in-fintech type panels and discussions and attended quite a few over the years and I think it's really important that that diversity and the work on on diversity is is continued but a part of it I think when we spoke Nadia part of it that we agreed was missing and maybe just not as prolific maybe as the kind of gender and ethnicity conversation is around social mobility and the fact that I come from state school I'm not I wasn't particularly disenfranchised it wasn't a a terrible background but it wasn't privileged uh, and I went to a state school and then I wasn't able to afford to go to university so I came into the workplace directly from A-levels and you see a different part of the world you see a different path when you come through that way and being aware of the challenges of that and that when you sit at board level now as I am when you sit at board level and you work with these senior people at these organisations that I mentioned, there aren't very many around you that didn't go to university or didn't go weren't privately educated. And as well as seeing the problems that, that we, you know, you've spoken about with your other podcast and, and some of your other work, walk the talk, you know, you're sitting in a room full of people that have been privately educated. And the reason they're seeing the same people presented to them is because of all of their work is with that same peer group and that same group of of contacts from their old school networks that we don't have.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I think anyone listening to this, this will probably be a bit of a pin drop moment where they're like, oh, that's true because we often, when we discuss inclusion, our brains will go to gender, it will go to ethnicity, perhaps religion, maybe sexual orientation, maybe neurodiversity, but social mobility and actually looking at the education system and who are the people in privilege and who are the people are in power. This is really, really important to open up our eyes on this. Now, I know that you're doing a lot to drive inclusion from, from this point of view, and you've got a lot of thoughts around the educational system of the UK. So I just wanted to dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I do. And um, before anyone turns off, this isn't a political conversation. It's about the what happens after you come out of the educational system. So if you, if you think about the difference between public and state schools um, and where people go after that uh, and the, the choices you have at 18 when you leave um, secondary education, you may or may not be able to afford to go to university. What you want to do is be able to tap into your peer mentors and find a route to a career that suits you understand more about a career you know you might want to come and be a market data person in the fintech industry but you wouldn't possibly know that until you until you end up here Uh, it feels like if you go to a public school you have access to an alumni and an old boy network and in fact before this i looked up alumni in the dictionary to see what uh, the definition is and the definition is peer mentors for men leaving education
0: which tells you a (laughs) lot.
1: i know (laughs) yeah Yeah, for male former students is the first, when you Google alumni, the first one that came up. So that made me wince a little bit. But the private school alumni is a really powerful tool. And if you're already privileged and have a privileged background and then you get the advantage of being able to tap into this old boy network or old girl network, I mean, you know, it does exist um, for women as well, it gives you a route into careers and it gives you this peer mentorship and it means that, you know, I've, I've spoken to people and 100% of their apprentices that come through the apprenticeship scheme into financial services, 100% of them come from private schools. That can't be right. How can that doesn't feed your pipeline of diverse employees? It doesn't help you in any way achieve what you want to do in terms of having a diverse employer status. So you know, how do you look beyond that when the schools you want to get to don't have an alumni? So the state schools don't have an alumni, you as an employer can't do anything to get into that network because the network doesn't exist. So that's where it becomes challenging. And and we did a quick poll before this pod. And everyone who replied from a public school had an alumni. Most people that replied from a state school don 't have an alumni, so it 's very clear that that network of peer mentors just doesn 't exist, so that 's what we 're going to talk in our idea about how we correct that
0: yeah um, absolutely, and it 's just so important that you 're saying this as as clearly as you are, and you know that's really that's going to stay with me that fact that if you google alumni and what it means the first thing is it's male focus which which you know (laughs) says it all doesn't it so you know we've spoken quite a bit about this and we can both get very impassioned about what needs to change (laughs) what's your thoughts how can we better advocate for one another So just to give it some context as well on this I did
1: some research I've read a couple of papers and white papers and research papers on this to make sure that I'm not just you know to make sure that I'm not talking to you from my own view that isn't actually correct it could be that I have a perception that is that is wrong of public schools. But it turns out I'm not wrong. Uh, So we're going to put the um, links to these reports in the podcast details so that if you're interested and you want to go and read a bit more, you can do. It will probably make you quite cross, so maybe don't do that. But if you're from an alumni from one of the leading public schools, you are 94 times more likely to reach an elite position than those that attended any other school. 94 times more likely. That can't be because you're 94 times smarter or clever or better or better suited for the role it's just because you don't have the opportunities the pay gap report there was a pay gap report from the London School of Economics which said people from working class backgrounds who get a professional job are paid an average of £6,800 less per year than colleagues from more affluent backgrounds If you then add into it, if you're a woman or from an ethnic minority, you get double disadvantage and your earnings will be even lower. And that seems to be partly due to this lack of peer mentorship and this lack of alumni. So my call to arms, my statement in this is contact your old school and see what you can do. See if you can peer mentor someone from your old school. See if you can help to... Walk the talk, see if you can break that cycle, see if you can find a way to help your peers into the job that you're now in. And I think when we spoke before, Natia, I thought you had to be CEO to make a difference, you know, and a lot of the people you speak to have reached a point where they're senior in their roles or they're senior within their organisations and, and they have a lot of experience and they're, they're, they're bringing this change and driving change from a position of power in this, you don't have to be. And, you know, if you've just left school and you've started your career and you're three years in, you maybe you went to university, maybe you didn't, maybe you made different choices and you've started on a career. You have something really powerful to give back to the people coming behind you. If I go and talk about what decisions I made at 18, it's irrelevant. It was 100 years ago. No one cares. The world's changed. If you're 21 and you go and talk to someone 18, you have some really powerful experience that they can speak to and they can make Different decisions, perhaps, if they want to end up somewhere different than where you have. And and maybe you'll say, well, this actually was wrong and and you should do it this way. If you're in a school and you want to find someone in a career that interests you, how do you tap into that network? How do you find someone who came from the exact same background as you or a very similar background to you and has become an architect or a mechanic or a banker or, you know, is working in financial services or is a technology developer or is a scientist? How do you find someone who's taken those careers and, and how do you get into that? Because if someone from my old school came to me and asked for advice, I would happily spend an hour having a conversation with them and and seeing what I could do to introduce them to someone or to help. And I think most people would. It's just that there's no way for those people to reach out to you or, or for you to get to them. And in fact, there is. Ring the school and ask. Speak to the careers person. Speak to the head of sixth form. Find out how you can just immediately have a conversation with someone who might be interested in coming into financial services. It's as simple as that. And with, you know, an hour a month, you could make a difference.
0: Absolutely and we were talking about our responsibility to go away and do that because if we rewind time to you know when when I was at school and as you said about yourself that was a million years ago me too (laughs) but I still think that there is a huge gap in careers advice and careers education in the state school system. I wasn't aware at all of what, what, what choices there were ahead of me and I still see people coming out of university and high school now where they speak to me and they, they haven't got uh, really a clue about what sort of options are in front of them. So I, I do think it is a, a responsibility as well, isn't it, for people from all walks of experience, all walks of life to, to go back and make people aware of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a responsibility, but it's kind of a privilege, right? That you you can go back and say, you know, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be now running my own business. And in an industry that I love, but I made some mistakes along the way and I would probably point someone in a slightly different direction than the way that I went. So yeah, and I just think knowing that someone who walked before you, particularly if you're from a school that is more disadvantaged, if you can see people that have gone and done something interesting and innovative and are in a a part of the world that you want to get to, that that could be great for someone just to have sight of that, even if they don't
0: actually speak to you. Mm, Absolutely. Okay, so as a last question, what do you think employers can do to support all of this?
1: yeah i think if you are in a position of of authority power or an employer in some way then you can you can support this as i mentioned earlier it feeds this pipeline for you of diversity you know you can tap into all of these engaged students when they're leaving leaving school and making their choices for going to university or starting in the workplace So it gives you enormous access to all of these people and you're going to get the best. You're going to get the ones that have gone in touch and found out about this careers advice that they can tap into or found an old boy um, who can give them advice. So, you know, for you, a call to arms for you would be encourage your employees to do this. Give them the time and the space and let them do that and, and sort of support them that if they then come back with someone, and say I want to peer mentor this person I'd like them to do some work experience I'd like to be at least able to apply to our apprenticeship scheme or to be able to you know participate in some way in in some of that if you can start to open those doors and and look outside of your usual path then that could be that could be really interesting and very rewarding and and as an employee, surely you would feel more engaged with your employer if they allow you to do that. And if you're peer mentoring people from your old school, then you'd be very engaged in that, in that employer and their success and, and getting
0: people on board, which I think is, is win-win for everyone. It 100% is. And I think, you know, just today with the conversation that we've had over these past few minutes will be eye opening for people and, and empowering because everyone can get involved in this. And at the moment, one of the most important things that every everybody's talking about in their business is how are we going to grow? How are we going to attract people to this industry? And how are we going to ensure that they stay? And this is a great way of doing it we know that diversity of thought makes us stronger. So this is a perfect way to go out there and identify talent that would never have thought about us before. So I have absolutely loved this conversation. I am blown away by the alumni part. I am blown away by the 94% quote, we have to all do better. And this is a great way where we can. So Suzanne, thank you for coming on the Women of Fintech podcast series. Thank you for having me.